the privilege of serving here at Antioch Brighton as an elder. Yes, I don't look that elderly, but uh, in terms of this church, uh, I get the privilege of serving as an elder. As well, I'm really excited for this, this other role that we get to play this year. Tammy and I are going to be serving in our discipleship school with many of you as you're jumping in this year. Um, we're super stoked about that. Um, we're going to jump into Romans this morning, like Becky alluded to. We're going to continue in our summer in Rome. Uh, but really quickly, I want to say thank you to John Lux and the rest of the summer preaching cohort. We've been working on sermons together. We've been ideating together. We've been giving each other feedback. It's been really, really helpful. Um, and I want to give a shout out to my family, Tammy and EJ. We just got back from vacation. I'll share a, a quick picture of that. Uh, and we had a blast, and they supported me as I was writing the sermon. It gave me time and space to process with God, and so uh, we're just super, super grateful. Uh, I'm super grateful for them and their love and support. This morning, I'm going to share a story with you, much like our passage is a story that Paul is sharing with us. And so um, let me get that next slide, Eric. Uh, maybe this looks familiar to you. Maybe this doesn't, but... Let me, let me bring you into what this means to me and what this reminds me of, okay? So, uh, on a Sunday back in June of 2017, I was on a, a business trip here in Boston. Uh, I happened to fly in on a Saturday night. I woke up on Sunday morning and said, hey, I should, I should check out the Antioch church there. We were going to an Antioch church in Seattle at the time, and I was like, I should check out the church. I, you know, I have nothing to do. It's Sunday morning. Uh, so, I hop in my Uber and I come over to Brighton, and I walk through this hallway, and I show up in this gym that has this guy up front. He's this big, six-foot, like, buff, ripped-out preacher that had this giant squat rack over on the side as, like, an analogy for prayer. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, where did I just walk into? This is like a, you know, like a 1950s old school gym, and he's up here talking about squatting and prayer. And that same morning, uh, you know, I just came in as a guest, and this woman walks up to me after the service. She's like, hey, I noticed you're new. Uh, can I pray for you? And I was like, what? That was Becky. She's standing right there. She's probably done that to you, too. <laughs> like, she just had the audacity to come to me and say, hey, can I pray for you about what's going on in your life? And in that room, I'll give you a little bit more context to what was happening in that room. In that room, there were people who would eventually go on and plant churches in Quincy and Roxbury. There were people who were sent overseas as missionaries in the next five years. There were people that said yes to God to bring in foster and adoptive children into their homes that didn't know it at the time when I was in that room in 2017. People have said yes to God over and over and over again. And over the years, now that I'm here, and I've been here for four years, I know I've gotten to see part of that story of what God has done since June 2017 when I walked in. God has brought thousands of people through school doors on a Sunday morning with a sign out front that says Antioch Brighton. Come, you're welcome here. Come be a part of what we're doing. Thousands of people in the last five years have come through our doors. And what I've seen is time and time again, 
those same people have chosen to say yes to God for what he's inviting them into, and it's changed the world. And I'm not using hyperbole here. It's literally changed the world. People have been healed. Amen? Amen. People's lives have been transformed. People's families have been restored. People who have never heard the gospel before in nations that you can't even find on a map have heard the gospel. College students have come to know Jesus, and it's transformed uh, their entire family, and and it'll transform generations moving forward for them. That is what has happened in and through our church in the last five years and the 15 years preceding that that Antioch Brighton has been around. So before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to invite you into something. You walked through a hallway this morning. It looks very similar to this. This is the old place that we used to meet, the Thomas Edison K-8 school. Uh, I like this space better, for the record. But uh, that place is pretty special to us, and this place has continued to be special to us too, because what we're doing is we're saying, hey, we are not the building. We are not the, the place. We're not the chairs. We're not the setup. We are the people of God who are saying yes to God, faithfully being obedient to him, and we're changing the world. You walked into a people who are changing the world this morning. So whether you know it or not, you're part of that. And so if you've been here for two months or this is your first week, welcome. Welcome to the party. If you've been here for five years or 10 years or 15 or 20, thank you for coming back. Let's keep doing this. So I say that this morning because I have a 30-year mortgage and I'm not going anywhere, so I invite you to come hang out with us for the next 30 years, at least. Uh, And I know Becky and Andrew are trying to buy a house in Brighton, so they're trying to stay for 30 years too. So you'll at least have like the five or six of us and and want to come stay for a while. Let's jump into Romans this morning and, and let's look at what Paul is doing as he's telling the Romans a story very similar to what I just told you guys about this church. We're going to be in Romans 4, 9 to 23, but I specifically want to focus in on 18 to 21. And I think God has so much for us this morning in 18 to 21. So uh, would you stand and we're going to read our passage. So it says in verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. This referencing a promise from Genesis 15 to 17. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Amen? All right, you can have your seats. Thank you, Andrew. Can you hear me better now? I'm, not gonna, I'm trying not to eat the mic. There we go. I'm trying to make this as awkward as possible. Is it working? We're stuck together for 30 years, so it's fine. It's okay. He's going to preach like this. (laughs) All right. The word of God here for us this morning 
is Paul writing to the Romans, as we've been talking about all summer. He's, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm coming to you. I just want to give you a heads up about some of these things. And he specifically goes old school. And I, got, I was like so excited. I was like, great. I get the passage that talks about the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament because the Old Testament stories sound crazy. They kind of sound like what Jake talked about this morning. But guess what? They're still happening, right? And so uh, we get to peek into the life of Abraham and how he was faithfully obedient to God, and he saw the world change because of it. If you go back to Genesis 15 to 17, you see a series of promises from God to Abraham. If you haven't read Genesis in a while, go back there and, and look at it's. It's not just all like, hey, Abraham, you're going to get all this cool stuff. You're going to prosper. You're going to be great. It's going to be easy. It was actually some really hard stuff that he was asking Abraham to walk out in. But they were the promises of God that he was speaking directly to Abraham, saying, hey, this is going to happen. Please just trust me and be obedient, and you'll see this come. And so I want to define really quickly uh, faithful obedience, because that's where we're going to hang out. That's why I think Paul is trying to get across to us. One of my favorite definitions of faith uh, that was told to me but probably when I was like 13. I don't remember very many sermons from when I was 13, but this one stood out. It's talking about faith, and, and I'll, I'll use this chair as an example. Um, this is a chair, and I know because of faith, uh, a combination of knowledge, experience, understanding, that if I sit down in this chair, it's not going to fall and break and put me on my back. It's going to work when I sit in the chair. That is faith that I have in the structure of the chair, what I know about chairs, that it's going to do what it's supposed to do for me. Similarly, uh, I'll give you a Boston example. As you drive down a street with parked cars on both sides and not enough space for two cars in the middle, you have a lot of faith that the other car coming the other direction is not going to swerve and hit you on your driver's side door. You have that faith every day, probably on the way to church this morning. That is the faith that other driver knows what he's doing or she is doing. Uh, that's a lot of faith. Let's talk about obedience really quick. Obedience, uh, as a parent, is really, really easy to define uh, because I'm trying to get my almost two-year-old to be obedient to me. Uh, why? Because I know what's best for him. I know that if he eats too much candy, he's going to get sick later. I know that if he doesn't learn to put his stuff away, it's just going to be a mess, and he's not going to like it, and he's going to make his mom mad. Uh, like, I know that if he's obedient, good things are going to happen. The other thing that I thought stood out in Jake's story uh, about obedience is that when we're obedient to God, when we do what God asks us to do, and then we see his promises come to fruition, our faith gets built. So it goes hand in hand. While we're, when we're obedient to God, we get to see what God wants to do. Then our faith gets built. And then we want to be more obedient to God so we can build our faith more because we're responding to this connection we have with Jesus. So very simply, and I think Jake hit it on the nose, like this passage is about Abraham putting his faith in God and us putting our faith in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, knowing that he died for our sins, rose again, and connected us with God for eternity, restored our relationship with God, and then obediently walking out in the promises of God and what he's saying and what he's asking you to do. That is literally what 
Paul is trying to get across. Be like Abraham. Don't do anything else but be like Abraham. So, that is great, Dennis. Thank you for that. That is the sermon. We can go on with our days. That is all. That's the gospel. That's what we need to hear this morning. Uh, I don't think so. I have like 20 more minutes worth of stuff, so you got to buckle in. Uh, that is the background to what I want to talk about. Like, that is obviously, uh, hopefully you connect those pieces in your mind and say, okay, that's good, but now what? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to walk that out? And I think Paul gives us very specific instructions here that, that we want to focus in on this morning. There are two pieces. The first is, is how do we walk out in faithful obedience to God and see the world change? We have to understand that we're not disqualified. We have to understand that our faith in Jesus is the only qualification that we need to have in order to walk out in the purposes of God to change the world. The second is really that God is always calling us. We just have to answer. God is always speaking, like Jake was talking about in his testimony. God, that little small voice that says, Jake, go. Go talk to that man. That little small voice that tells you, hey, be patient with that coworker. Hey, call that person. Check in on them. That is the voice of God always communicating with us, and we just need to listen and answer. And so I'll break that down a little bit more in just a minute, but let's go back to our, our first one. You are not disqualified. If Abraham, as it says in our scripture, who was, uh, let's say, look at verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Let's give a really quick snapshot of what he's talking about. God promised that Abraham would have a baby with Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old. To put it in our context, that's like 60, 70. It's pretty old. Sarah was 90 at the time. In our context, it's like 50, 60. That's pretty old to have a baby. Just, just like what we know about natural uh, biology, we, we know that's hard. And I love this because if you look at the original text in Genesis, this is like one of the only times that I could find in the Bible where somebody, like God speaks to somebody and somebody just laughs at God and it's recorded in the Bible. Like God was like, hey, you're going to have a baby at 90 years old. Sarah's like, ha, 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 yeah, right. Like literally, it's recorded in Genesis. It's like Sarah laughed at God. It, like that's how audacious they felt like God's promises were. So this is like me playing on our Antioch softball team. Who plays on the Antioch softball team? Defending champions. Let's go. Uh, we're going to the playoffs again. It's not a big deal because everybody makes playoffs. Um, and, and, you know, like, I, I'm like a capable softball player. Uh, I'm not Manny Ramirez or David Ortiz. I'm a capable softball player. Uh, but, you know, like hitting slow pitch softball is hard. Uh, sometimes. And so, you know, if, if I'm sitting in my room one day, you know, getting ready for the softball game, thinking about it, and God's like, hey, Dennis, you are going to help the Red Sox win the World Series this year. Yeah, it's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to get signed to a contract. They're going to they're gonna see you out there, and it, 
the park in Fenway, and they're going to be like, hey, come over to our park in Fenway and, and come play for our team. Like, that would be kind of crazy. God, if you want to tell me that, and if that's what you want me to do, I'm, I'm down. I'm game, God. Like, I'm available. But uh, my credentials for that job don't really line up. Like, I don't have the skill and acumen, and per the world, like, I'm, I'm not qualified to do that. Abraham and Sarah were the same way. They were like, there's no way. Why, God? Why would you give this promise to us if there's no way that in our simple minds we can understand that, that that's going to come to fruition? I think what Paul is pointing at here as we look at the passage, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was not dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Like, what Paul is saying here is like, we're not disqualified from, from faithfully obeying God and seeing the world change. None of us are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care where you were raised. I don't care what your family situation looks like. I don't care what skills you do or do not have, God is saying you are qualified to participate in seeing the world change and the kingdom of heaven come to Boston as it is in heaven. Like, that is what Paul is inviting us to. Like, look at Paul himself. Paul, who was Paul before he became Paul? He was Saul. He was a little bit of a hater. He was a little bit of antagonist. He was a little bit of somebody who was just like, eh, that's not for me. Cool, you guys do your thing. That's not my thing. And he writes what, half of the New Testament? Because God's like, hey, you're not disqualified. You have faith in me, you're not disqualified. And so I invite you in this morning to think about this. This is maybe going to be a little bit of a, a straightforward take. Uh, Boston has done that to me. It makes me very, very much a straight shooter. Um, if you disqualify yourself from being able to participate in the promises of God and bringing the kingdom of God and seeing the world change, you're actually saying that I think my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, God. I think I know myself better than you know me, God. You're telling the creator who knows every hair on your head that, hey, I, I'm not good enough to be part of what you're doing. God is saying, hey, I'm just asking you to have faith in me. I'm asking you to have faith in Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm asking you to be obedient. That's all I need. That's all Abraham did. He wasn't specifically skilled. He had a lot of things going on in his life, but he, he was not the most charismatic leader. He was not the most gifted one. He didn't win as many wars as anybody in, in the Old Testament. He, he was just a man who heard God, listened to God, faithfully obeyed God. And so that, that's my invitation this morning is you're not disqualified when you're being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised, like it says in verse 21. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. The second point I want to get into this morning is that uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to just going to use this term. The phone is always ringing, uh, but no one's answering. And Paul is pointing out to us that Abraham, as he's known later on as the father of faith, was somebody who always picked up the phone when God spoke to him. 
God didn't speak to everybody back in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit wasn't around yet. But specifically, God, God I, I, my assumption as I was, as meditating on this is that God tried to speak to a lot of people and a lot of people didn't pick up. And the ones we heard about that picked up the phone are in the Bible. Like God was looking for people to restore what sin had taken away and not that many people answered. And so uh, let, me, let me give you a, a little reference. Eric, if we could get the, the little picture of, of what we're going to talk about. Does anybody know what this is? Did anyone have one of these? Raise your hand. All right. I'm just, I'm dating the people in the room. That's good, right? It's nice. Uh, okay. So uh, this is my memory of what this is as a kid. So we would get home and we would run out of the minivan and we'd run inside and then we'd see this little blinking, flashing light. Ours was a little bit more modern than this one. This is a little bit before my time. Uh, but this is an answering machine. You've never heard of what an answering machine is. It is not the little button in your phone that says voicemail, okay? It was an actual box that sat next to your phone that in uh, the original design had a little cassette that would record the messages that you got from the calls that you missed. I suspect it, that... There's a lot of messages that we have from God that are unanswered. Like, this is, like, I have these exact memories of, like, you walking in and seeing a little red flashing light. And you, put, you click the button, and it's like, beep, you have three new messages. And then they start playing, and then you ignore them because you realize it's, like, your aunt and your grandma, and you just, like, run upstairs because you're like, whatever, Mom, you could listen to those. That's exactly how I remember it playing out with the answering machine at my house. Uh, I think that there's an answering machine that we have with God that is full of things that he wants to say and speak. I, I, I just think that that's who God is. And as, as Paul writes here, like, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. Why does Paul write that? He could waver through unbelief because he wasn't, because potentially he wasn't hearing from God. We waver in unbelief and our faith wavers when we don't hear from God on a regular basis, when we don't pick up the phone on a regular basis, when we don't commune with God to hear what he has to say. Uh, I found this crazy um, statistic that uh, speaks to, to two things that I think uh, stop us from answering the phone. The first one is distractions. Um, did you know that uh, you see about 10,000 ads a day? And that's only based on uh, doing three Google searches a day. Like, you go on Google and you get a bazillion ads. You go on any application in your phone, there's ads. Like, 10,000 ads a day are trying to get your attention. And what's the point of an advertisement? Um, any marketing majors in here? Any marketing people? All right, we got Eric and Kyle. All right. Uh, marketing 101. All right, let me bring you in to marketing 101. An advertisement, its purpose is to get you to do something. It's to get you to be obedient to something. Buy my product. Go here. Do that. Change this about you. Change that about you. Like, that is literally marketing 101. Like, we give you ads so that you could go do something about it. Well, if we're getting 10,000 ads a day from the world, how are we supposed to follow and be obedient to God? Like, that seems pretty distracting. And so, 
I think what we see in this passage is that Abraham was really good at limiting the distractions. He had an unwavering faith because he spoke to God over and over and over again. And every time he had doubts, every time he wavered in unbelief, he went to God. He got a download from God. He said, God, what about this? God, what about that? Hey, I'm, I'm curious. What are you trying to do here? What do you want me to remember? And so uh, we have a million different distractions in our life. We have, uh, ve- I use a thing called the Eisenhower Matrix. I don't know if anybody else has used that. It's this four-quadrant system to figure out, like, what's urgent and important and what you're supposed to focus on. And the urgent and important things, like if we look at, like, life in general are, like, family, shelter, food, our job, our school responsibilities, like our main priorities that we must get done. Everything else, I'm going to label this morning as a distraction. Your friends are a distraction in one way or another. Your phone is a huge distraction. The world out there is giving us so many things to pay attention to, to follow, to, to follow up on. Biggest distraction for me, I'm a huge baseball fan. I love the Seattle Mariners. That's my team. They're on the West Coast. That means the games start at like 10 p.m. at night. Ask Tammy how many times I've stayed up to 1 a.m. Way too many. Uh, because I love this team and I love watching baseball. And so I'll watch it at 10 o'clock at night and stay up till 1 in the morning, even though I know I need to get up at 7. Like, that is a distraction in my life that uh, I recognize and I know that it's, you know, at times it's awesome and it's great and it's fun. Other times it's terrible for me because I'm grumpy in the morning. I'm not a good parent. I'm not a good husband. It's a distraction for me from following in faithful obedience to God and seeing the world around me change. And so think about your distractions. Think about the distractions that stop you from picking up the phone or checking your voicemail or going to God and saying, hey, God, how, do, how can I walk out in faithful obedience? The second piece that I think um, ties into why we don't answer the phone is credit. It's written in verse 20. It says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and gave glory to God. I think our society, in in a lot of good ways, has told us that we get what we work for. We should work hard, and we should reap the benefits. You should go to school, get your degrees, and it'll help you make a good living. It'll help you make a difference in the world by working hard. You'll get the credit You'll get the credit for these things. And if I told you that everything you did in your life accumulated to no credit for you, that would suck. That would be really hard, right? Like, we're in a very studious society here in Boston that works really hard, that knows how to really pursue uh, really important things and, and, and focuses in on a lot of things. And so... Uh, if we, if we told everybody, hey, you could go to Harvard and attend all the classes, do all the homework, do all the assignments, publish all the papers, but you don't get that piece of paper at the end of the day, you don't get the credit for it. That would suck. And so I think in the way that Paul is describing Abraham, 
He's saying he gave the glory to God. He didn't want the credit. He faithfully obeyed, knowing, knowing full well that he might not get any of the credit. And in, the, in, the, in his day and age, in his lifetime, Abraham didn't really get much credit. It was only years later when we look back at his life that we credit him as the father of faith because he gave the glory to God. He didn't take it for himself. And so as we think about wanting the credit for what we do, I think this, this passage in um, Galatians is really powerful. Uh, Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, in the middle there, it says, I no longer live, but Christ in me. That is what Abraham did. He said, I no longer live, but my life is God. God, you can have my life. I don't want it anymore. I don't need the credit. I don't need the accolades. I don't need people to recognize me for what I did. I want to give it to you. As I was thinking about this during worship, uh, a few of you maybe are going to come up to me and say, hey, Dennis, you did a great job this morning. Uh, a few of you may come up to me and say, hey, you didn't do a great job this morning. I don't want the credit for either. I want God to be known through his word this morning. Like, I, I, we were praying this morning in our, in our pre-service meeting, like, uh, Rosie had shared this picture that we're just the trellis to let God do what he wants to do. This is what this church is about when I was telling that story at the beginning. For 20 years, we've been a trellis for God's plans to flourish God's kingdom to come in Boston. It's not about us, the church, like Antioch Brighton. It's about setting up a time and a space that we can encounter God in his word, in his presence, and obey him and see the world changed. Like, let's not get hung up on the credit. Let's live, like Paul is talking about in Galatians, for Christ and let God, let him live through you. And so, if, if we're not seeking the credit, I think we're much more um, likely to pick up the phone and hear God. Because God is going to ask you to give up the credit. He is. Jake was talking about it earlier. Like, it's, it's not about what Jake did or John did. It's about what God did. And so we have to humble ourselves in that position uh, to be able to really hear God clearly. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and, and I'm going to close with a couple things. When we understand that we're not disqualified, that we have the gifts from God, each and every one of us, and then when we hear from God on a regular basis, we can continue to be a people that walks out in faithful obedience to him and see the world changed. Literally, our choices with what we do with our life can see the world around us change. I believe that God is inviting us into re-upping that this morning. I believe that God is inviting you to check in with him. I believe that God is inviting you to ask him for his promises. And so I have, I have two main response points this morning. 
have you disqualified yourself? Have you disqualified parts of your life? Said, God, you can use me in my five o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, but you can't use me in my nine to five. God, you can have uh, a little piece of me on Sunday morning and maybe once a week at Life Group, but everything else in my life, God, is not qualified to be used by you. Like, where have you disqualified yourself from participating in faithful obedience to God? You need a fresh download of faith to remember who your faith is in. Your faith is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for your sins. Maybe you need to go back and ask God to remind you of where your faith is at. What, what does it look like to put your faith in him? Why does that set you free to live like that verse in Galatians? The second thing is, are you like sitting there and you're like, Dennis, that's great. But I have never heard from God. I don't have a promise from God. I don't know what God wants me to do. I feel like I'm doing what God has told me to do, at least as far as I can tell. Like, the beauty of walking with Jesus is that we just have to ask him. We just have to get with him. We just have to answer the phone. We just have to go to him and say, Father, what do you want me to do? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at Chuck right now because he told this story, I think, uh, a few months ago that I, I loved. I think, Chuck, you were saying you, you walk down the stairs in the morning and you are just saying, God, thank you for today. Thank you for another day that I get to walk down these stairs. Thank you for today. How can I obey you today? How, God, what do you want me to do? What do, you, what do you, where do you want my feet to land? Like, that is the kind of relationship we want with the Father. It's the kind of relationship he's inviting us into. That's the relationship that, that Paul had with God. It's the relationship that Abraham had with God. And they changed the world. We're changing the world here. This is what we're doing. If you want to do that, get with the Father. And so, if you've never heard the voice of God, I, I want to give a caveat here. It can be intimidating. It could sound, it could, it, in your head, it probably sounds like this deep, like daunting voice of God. That is maybe true for some people, but not always true for everybody. Um, and so I would say, get with somebody and say, hey, could you, could you hear from God with me? But let's do it together. God didn't design us just to like hear from God by ourselves. We can do that individually, but we also can do it corporately. So this is a free time and space to be able to do that as well. If you need a download from God about any place of obedience with him. So I'm going to pray, uh, invite you to stand, and then uh, we'll respond. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you so much, God, that your word is freely accessible to us, that you speak to us, that your word is alive, Father. God, we, we glorify you. We say thank you and amen to all that you've done in and through our church over 20 plus years. Faithfully obedient people have seen the world change, and faithfully obedient people will continue to see the world change, because you are a God who is true to his promises. You do what you say you're going to do, God. We honor and bless that this morning. So would you speak to each person here this morning how they, how they need to respond to you, how they can uh, be in conversation with you, how they can be invited back into the plans and purposes for their life this morning. We just 
We give glory and honor to you. 